Here we are. Post-election and all the shit that Trump has been stirring up is right in our laps. Can January 20th get here fast enough? I guess if we've survived the last four years, we can put up with it for a few more weeks. But holy shit, what a nasty six weeks it's going to be. Yeah, I'm not really in the mood to talk politics, but post-election, is there any way to avoid it? The COVID situation is worse than ever, and the political divides that that asshole in chief has championed make it just that much worse. Man, history is going to kick our collective asses for how we've managed to fuck up our handling of this pandemic. Sure, there's a bunch of us trying to do the right thing, washing hands, distancing, masks, but there's another huge bunch of Americans that are either too ignorant to understand or too defiant to do the right thing. Several of my friends from overseas have sent me messages of congratulations on our incoming leadership, but those are tempered with wonder at how many in the U.S. can still support that dick. I suppose the only thing I can do is shake my head and admit that there's a whole bunch of uneducated, xenophobic, homophobic, racist, white supremacists in America, and Trump just turned over that rock and encouraged them to crawl out. This has got me thinking of things like just basic right and wrong. Seems that as a nation, we've slipped into a real binary state of mind. You know, I'm right, you're wrong. Masks, yes. Masks, no. Democrat, Republican. Shit, even in normal, mundane, day-to-day things, right and wrong seem to be popping up. Of course, the classic example is the, the toilet paper. You know, over the top of the roll in front or under the roll in back. Now, this is easy because there's a clearly a right way and a wrong way. And the way that I do it, obviously, is right. But what about something that's a bit more complicated? How about loading the dishwasher? Now, I've gone round and round with my wife on this one, and although she still refuses to acknowledge my right way of doing it, she has gratefully abdicated all dishwasher actions to me. A win, I think. In any case, who the hell loads a dishwasher with bowls up and silverware down? There's a sweet spot to how many dishes you can load and the correct placement. Okay, there are a few correct alternatives to this, but there are a shit ton of ways to do it wrong. So. Right? Wrong? Is it important in the long run? It seems so, if we ever hope to get past the shitstorm that the current administration has fostered over the last few years. No, there are not good people in the white supremacist movement. Yes, QAnon is a load of horse shit. And if you think the government has had your back the last months for the COVID, you are wrong. Enough. Let's just hope that the next four years will be better, because they sure as shit can't get much worse. In this election year, it seems appropriate to honor an uppity woman with ties to our nation's birth. Now, if you missed the last episode from the pub, for centuries, old white men have been treating intelligent, confident, and assertive women as uppity. And that does not fly here at the pub. After this quick break, let's talk about a famous uppity woman from America's past. Welcome back from the break. Let's talk about Betsy Ross. Betsy is the subject of one of our gooier tall tales, and she had a long moniker by the time she reached Social Security age. Not that there was anything like that back then. Born Elizabeth Grissom, she was, by turns, Mrs. Ross, then Mrs. Ashburn, and finally Mrs. Claypool. Now, this good Philly dame was born a Quaker on January 1st, 1752. She got drummed out of her church when she married an Anglican upholster named John Ross. He died in the militia two years later, but at least she learned a trade. Now she was an upholsterer. We can make your flags and your banners here. 
Betsy fought to return to the religious fold and found a home with an oxymoronic sect called the Fighting Quakers. She barely had time to produce a son and a daughter with her next spouse before he was captured and died in an English prison. With husband number three, John Claypool, Betsy had five daughters before he became paralyzed. He lingered on until 1817. For most of her 84 years, Betsy valiantly carried on as a caregiver, breadwinner, and parent, supporting herself by sewing. In 1777, she did whip up a couple of flags for the Philadelphia Navy, but there's no evidence that she made the first U.S. flag at George Washington's behest, or anyone's. No secret shopping trips to her upholstery shop by the Congressional Committee, either. The whole warm and fuzzy story was concocted by her grandson, Bill Canby, at the 1876 National Centennial. In a speech, Bill asserted that his granny had made the first flag and that she told him all about it on her deathbed 40 years later. Even then, most people didn't buy it. But the nation was about to celebrate its 100th birthday and it needed some heartwarming history fast. A Betsy Ross Memorial Association sprang up and was soon selling a cool 12, 2 million memberships at a dime each. In 1890, a painter, Charles Weisberger, did a huge canvas of Betsy Ross, showing her creation to the Congressional Committee. With this momentum, the myth took flight and finding its way like a computer virus into textbooks and women's history. Now, Betsy was extraordinary, but not in the way that she's been labeled. So hats off to Betsy and all the uppity women in our lives. So come back to the pub again. Or we'll be waiting for you. Fire's on. Booze is ready. Take care. <laughs>